Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Vegan Food and Living's Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co-host, Molly Pickering. Each week, we discuss the latest vegan news, taste test the newest vegan products, and speak to some of the leading names in veganism about everything from nutrition, immunity, and weight loss to recipe ideas and alternative proteins. We also answer your questions each week, so don't forget to email us at simplyvegan at anthem.co.uk. This week's episode is sponsored by White Rabbit, the makers of delicious Italian food that everyone can enjoy. They've just launched their brand new range of frozen vegan margarita, sizzling jackfruit and garlicky mushroom pizzas that are 100% plant-based, gluten-free and delicious into Sainsbury's and co-op stores. For more information and exact stores, head to their Instagram at white underscore rabbit underscore pizza underscore co. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, Let's start by explaining why I sound like this. Molly is laughing at me, (laughs) sniggering. (laughs) Um, Yes. So this is what happened. Okay. I went vegan like nearly four years ago. I have not been ill since. I went on to LinkedIn. I boasted about how I have not been ill in so long and how amazing veganism is. And my comeuppance was the most God almighty, hideous, cold, lost my voice. I just can't believe it. <laughs> I What was it about two weeks ago? I remember you saying it on the podcast, I think in an interview, you just said that you'd not been ill for so long. I'm not laughing at you, I promise. You are. <laughs> I am. It's so uh, well- who was oh, it? Was I, it Chaucer that said pride comes before a fall? I think. Did you do English at uni? No. That's <laughs> uh, all, all I keep thinking about is this quote. So, uh, yeah, that's my advice to everyone. Do not boast about um, <laughs> not getting ill as a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> so publicly as well. Um, yeah. Do you know what, though? I mean, it's still a pretty good run, isn't it? I mean, have you found that you've been ill less since changing your diet? I have. I think... 
So I had a thought about this and I definitely feel like I've been less ill. Um, but also with the new sort of what I think it is, is the new variants that are coming through with COVID and stuff. And I hate saying COVID now. It's so annoying. I hate to bring it up, but um, <laughs> sorry, everyone. Um, with the new variants coming up, I think that it's just this, there's so many new things about that maybe even veganism can't fight off. Exactly. Well, I think, yeah, all the kids sort of being back at school after all the lockdowns and everything. And and I was thinking about it as well, like, you know, going into supermarkets, you're you're using that yeah. bacteria, antibacterial gel, aren't you? It's killing off all these germs. So you're not yeah. building up little bits of immunity like maybe you usually would. You're also burning off all the skin on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, crazy world that we live in. And, um, yeah, I do apologise to everyone listening. You're going to have to ha- listen to an hour of me sounding rather like a, um, well, I don't know what. but <laughs> It's sexy. It's sexy. I don't know, Molly. I don't know. I literally had to whisper all day yesterday to try and save my voice to get through the podcast. So um, oh, hopefully, hopefully it will last out. <laughs> So let's let's have a quick chat about our whole food plant based challenge that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. We've got a few weeks left, haven't we? How's yes. it been going for you? Actually, really good. I feel like, well, the lunch that I just had. Oh my gosh, I need to tell everyone about it. It was just so nice. So I had. Um, I feel like I might have maybe overloaded on carbs, but I don't care. Good carbs: butter beans, chickpeas, bulgur wheat, um, tomatoes, cucumber, mint, dill olive oil all sort of like mixed together with some lemon juice and then some crispy kale so like kale just baked in the oven with a bit of salt and olive oil and then I did like a little cucumber and garlic and mint yogurt dip my god oh I know all in half an hour so quick it was lush it was so nice that sounds so tasty it was good I have completely fallen off the wagon because I've been ill I've just literally been just grabbing whatever there is lying around and I don't know I just feel like I'm a bit lost this week and I'm hoping to as of tomorrow I'll sort of wake up feeling fresh and better and then I can kind of get back to it because yeah I've just you know like at the weekend like my husband was doing so- obviously vegan sausages, but vegan sausage <laughs> sarnies. Um, <sighs> so, and I was, yeah, I was just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to eat it. Someone's made it for me. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm holding my hands up and saying, <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I I had a bacon sandwich yesterday as well. Obviously, vegan bacon. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be really bad, wouldn't it? If that- we'd like. I had a pork bacon sandwich. There we go. I said it. I'm joking. I didn't. Yeah, that's re- that's <laughs> really falling that. off the wagon. <laughs> no, I think, do you know what? It's when you're feeling like this, I know it's it's so easy to just lose sight of just like any sort of like productivity and like, I don't know, wanting to cook anything. You're just in a sort of like days almost and you're just dead to the world and you know what you deserve it take some time off do what you need to do eat that sausage sandwich (laughs) 
I didn't even enjoy it. It was actually disgusting. But oh, hey no. ho, I think it's the thing, isn't it? When you're ill, you you really it should be the time where you should be packing all those nutrients in. Yeah, but you just mad, want you just want like plain carbs and stuff, don't you? Yeah, convenience. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's chat about the news um, that there's a shortage of meat workers. Now, this mm. I've had. Uh, it's quite a confusing issue, isn't it? Because it's not just kind of like one problem and it's not just caused by one issue. Um, yeah. So they're, the the farming industry are saying they're going to have to cull hundreds of thousands of pigs um, on the farms, I believe, oh um, unless the government issues visas to allow more butchers into the country. Um, so... Apparently, there's an acute shortage of butchers and slaughterers in the meat processing industry caused by yeah. COVID and um, post-Brexit immigration policy. So basically, they're trying to get visas for 5,000 truck drivers and um, 5,000 poultry workers uh, from, you know, bringing them across from Europe yeah. to come in and, and help with this crisis. Um, what are your thoughts on this? It's just, what is this world that we're living in? It's like, not even, I mean, at first I was just like, oh, like there's going to be a meat shortage. Like this is really good. But then you have to think about it. It's just like, no, these animals are still in the sort of, what they call system. In the system, like they're still there. They're still, they're not going to be just like placed into a field. And then, you know, given this like wildlife, that's not going to happen. They are going to be killed. If, you know and just dumped essentially I don't even know what they're going to do to them. I don't even want to think about it I mean it's just it's just bloody Brexit and I uh, I don't even want to talk about it but like you said there's just so many layers to it and you know there's the immigration side of it and you know these workers given temporary visas to get us out of shit that we've caused i I personally, I well, I seen something the other day, and I think it was a spokesperson, and they said that we're not coming to help the UK to get out of their shit. It's it's weird, isn't it? I mean, why why do we not have people wanting to kill these animals in our own country? I mean, I just believe that it's the meat industry has so many problems, obviously, as we know, in terms of ethics, and and that has a human impact as well because. You know, people suffer with PTSD, even, um, you know, people, a lot of people commit suicide because these jobs, imagine, you know, having to slaughter these animals day after day after day. It is. It's traumatic and it's it's low paid. And, you know, what a miserable life doing that job. I think Western society has such a, a distant relationship with animals in terms of like how they eat them. And it's just gone to a scale now where like people just don't even understand how you know meat is producing into supermarkets and stuff and that's why we're in this position and as you say you know UK workers they just don't want to do it because they've not had to for so long yeah I just I just really hope that one outcome of this might be that you know even if just a few people think well do I actually need this meat? There's none on the shelves. Yeah. Perhaps I could try something else instead. Um, and, you know, what's going to happen to all these poor pigs? There's there's basically, they've got all the adult pigs 
um, and they're running out of room and they've got all the piglets obviously that they're bringing through and I don't know it's just it is heartbreaking I just I hate thinking about it but anyway we've just got to keep fighting the good fight Molly (laughs) yeah we got this we'll we'll rescue all the piggies ourselves yeah (laughs) I wish yeah I wish we could so badly I know. um well this leads leads us nicely on to the next story which is a, a groundbreaking new study that has revealed that meat eaters replacing just five meals a week with plant-based meat alternatives can promote improved gut health so you don't need the meat there's a shortage you don't need it exactly <laughs> Get your gut in a better place. Yes. (laughs) So they um, basically tested all their poo, which um, sounds like a lovely job for someone. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) They um, found there to be a significant increase in levels of uh, bacteria that produces gut-friendly bitriate, I think. I don't know how to pronounce it. But um, anyway, they, they experienced an increased fibre intake, regular bowel, more regular bowel movements and a decrease in the potentially harmful, um, again, I can't pronounce this, Tenericus <laughs> bacteria, indicating that consuming meat alternatives can lead to holistic changes within the gut microbial ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, that's fantastic. I think they, the uh, study that they did used Meatless Farm. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and it does, at the end of the article, this is over on the Vegan Food and Living website. I know this is one that you didn't write, wasn't it? I didn't do this one. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it talks about, okay, so, you know, the first argument of a meat eater would be, oh, but it's really, really highly processed. Well, not not every single meat substitute is processed in the same way. We can't lump them all together. And whilst some will be, extremely processed others actually aren't as bad and you've got things like seitan and you know tofu these are all meat replacements that have been used for thousands of years that are you know use quite a few ingredients so yeah definitely I think um again it's just the argument isn't it that I seen a story today I think it was maybe the guardian um and it was how healthy are uh vegan ready meals and I just couldn't help but wonder whether like is it just still this argument of well you know you're eating all of this processed food that can't be healthier than meat and it's just so boring and it's so tiresome and as you said like these products you know a lot of them feature as you say tofu and seitan and minimal ingredients have been around for so long and you know a lot less of a risk than all of the crap that's in meat these days I know it's it's almost just tit for tat isn't it and it's like you know (laughs) ready meals aren't designed to be a staple diet are they no exactly exactly okay well should we talk about our reviews this week because we had some rather taste tasty treats didn't we from the English Cheesecake Company oh yum 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 obsessed 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 um, they've launched a salted caramel millionaire cheesecake at waitrose and they also sent us their double chocolate cookies and cream and um smooth vanilla cheesecake with lotus biscoff and those are available from their website is that right yeah and waitrose and i believe the vegan kind supermarket as well okay um these were 
so oh yummy. my gosh I have actually had to put them away and just forget that they're there because I will eat <laughs> I, I've had one box and I just I might have to freeze them because I don't want them to go to waste and as you said we're not about waste yeah. but I will eat the whole well, how many did they send us about 12 I think yeah. it was. <laughs> 12 individually I will eat them all in one go because they're just amazing they're so good they are really scrummy so indulgent I mean that if you look at the fat content it is through the roof (laughs) um but like you say you know perhaps just having a a little bite here and there and just kind of um eke them out rather than (laughs) eating too many honestly have you had the raspberry one I think it's like a raspberry um deliciously raspberry no I didn't get sent that one Oh, I didn't get sent that one either, but that one is amazing. Have you had it? Yeah, it's incredible. I love fruity cheesecakes. Um, I think it's just a cut cut through the sweetness, but that one is my favourite. Yeah, I really like the Biscoff one. Um, Yeah, (laughs) so tasty. And uh, yeah, so head down to Waitrose and check those out. I think they're about £3, £3 something. I think so. They're a little bit pricey, but like... If you look at like goo pots and stuff, there, I think they blow clear out of the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that we tested, and this isn't food, something a bit different, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right: bead or bide bead boxes. Bide, bide. I think B I D E. Yeah, bide boxes. So these are these are amazing. They are created in kitchens across the UK by. Um, people who've lost their jobs during the pandemic and um they include like toilet toilet bombs dishwasher tablets washing up liquid and it's all toxic free palm oil free cruelty free vegan um pre-recycled and compostable packaging sourced in the UK and so basically you kind of add water to them don't they they come as a powder and then you Mm -hmm. add water to like the washing up liquid so it's um it's great much reduced packaging as well which obviously mm-hmm. cuts down on you know uh, transportation emissions and yeah. the range starts at just three quid so it's it's affordable um yeah, yeah so nice I love the packaging and all the branding and they smelt so nice it was so good the um I just love glass anything and the glass like hand pump that was in it I loved that that was such a nice little touch um yeah I think it was last and as you said it came in the box that it came in was tiny compared to how much stuff was in there and also how much use you're going to get out of it as well um yeah it's amazing I had to give the dishwasher tablets to uh my partner's mum because I don't have a dishwasher but she said they were very good yeah yeah it's a good sort of way to get started if you want to switch I um I use the refills from like Ecova and things like that so I can keep the big plastic bottles that you buy it in originally and then I go down to the local health food shop and refill it from there um but this yeah this was uh, those big bottles they do take up quite a lot of room to store so this was yeah. um sort of saved on space as well so yeah and uh, yes yeah, so they just smelled so lovely like lavender and really sort of lovely like holistic scents mm, herbal herbal yes herbal <laughs> how's my voice doing is it still <laughs> you're doing so great do you know what have you seen that episode of friends when phoebe has a bad voice oh she no. has a bad voice. uh and she just sings and she's just like 
like this sexy jazz singer and that's all I'm thinking about right now (laughs) (laughs) oh I'm really starting to struggle to talk Um, oh no well let's let's quickly go on to our questions before I have to start whispering um (laughs) okay so if you want to submit your question simply email simplyvegan at anthem.co.uk um this week we had a, a message from Laura who wanted to know um whether she should transition sort of fully straight away or whether it's better to do it gradually um how did you did you do it gradually I did it all at once I did it it was very much a case of I'm gonna go vegan went to the shop bought everything and the end basically but I had been sort of on and off sort of like veggie for a while kind of um like wasn't really I didn't eat a lot of cheese anyway because my skin and I just didn't really like it and was cutting it down um so for me it was quite easy just to sort of switch over and I love all of the vegan cooking and stuff so it was exciting for me um I really think it depends on sort of like your day-to-day life as well like how much sort of um I don't say how much you're willing to put into it, but sort of like how much prep you can do and stuff, because that is the most important thing to me. And plus, if you have a family, I think it can be quite tricky because if they're not yeah. going, if they're not going vegan at the same time, then you've got to kind of think about cooking different meals and things like that. Definitely. Um, I I did it straight away as well. I mean, and the same as you. Weirdly, I was kind of vegetarian on and off, but didn't want to put a label on myself because now and again yeah. I, I might want to eat a prawn or something you know <laughs> um and weirdly yeah I um I you know I, I sort of met someone who was vegan and she ran uh, I've talked about this quite a few times on the podcast but she used to run a uh, run and will be running actually from January again some um online workshop I mean they were face-to-face at the time because yeah, that was yeah. before we lived in a world where everything was on oh. Zoom um Pre-zoom. yeah yeah but you know it has its benefits doesn't it because it means more people can actually you know you don't have Definitely. to be um sort of in the local area but yeah I did the uh the plant-based workshop and oh my god I just I just loved it so much it just opened to my eyes to all these new ingredients yeah. and things like nutritional yeast and um it's insane you know, isn't it all the different things that you can do and just it kind of just taught me how to cook in a different way and that was it then I was hooked overnight vegan um my stomach was a bit kind of like whoa what's going on yeah um for a little while but I think you've just got to do what is right for you and mm-hmm. you know if you I don't know really struggle to give up eggs for example well maybe try cutting out the meat and the fish and the dairy yeah. and then slowly kind of find replacements for eggs um I definitely advise doing like a cookery course or something and um yeah in a moment I'll be speaking to Sarah Bentley from Made in Hackney and they run some really good online cookery courses so yeah you know if you are interested um keep listening because um yeah that'd be a really interesting one but yeah just do what is right for you don't let anyone judge you don't feel you've got a label on it and say I'm going vegan and then everyone's kind of oh but you're still eating this you're still eating that you know, just just do what you can and do it at your own pace. And if you want to do Definitely. it, like, go for it. Um, and if you slip up, don't worry about it. You don't have to say, oh, my God, well, I had some cheese 
you know, so I'm not vegan anymore. The whole thing. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the most important thing is like remembering that like one slip up doesn't mean that you're no longer a vegan. And again, it goes down to like labels and stuff because it, I find the labels are so dangerous sometimes because then you just get in your head about them. Um, so I just think like, keep going. If you have a slip up, you have a slip up, like you're human, um, like anything in life. I feel like that's what I'm just, is my motto. If you yeah. step up, you're fine. Yeah. Um, I'd also say for me, I got really inspired on Instagram and followed loads of, um, sort of like bloggers and stuff on there and got sort of like in a rabbit hole of recipes and that was really, really beneficial to me. And again, like we said, it's it's so exciting and being able to learn, you know, to cook all these amazing foods is one of the things that sort of like kept me going. So I'd say that was like the one thing. Yeah, find a community or a friend to do it with you. I've I've got a friend who's kind of going vegan now and she's so excited about all the cooking. She keeps sending me WhatsApp yeah. pictures of her dishes and stuff. And then that inspires me to sort of cook better things or cook different things. So yeah, try and sort of buddy up with someone and um, yeah. sort of go on your journey together. Um, the other question, it wasn't really a question, but I just wanted to give a little shout out to Stephen Sutherland, who's um, given us a few comments on YouTube and Instagram and things. So thank you for that. We always really love to hear from our listeners um, and connect with you. He's a 52 year old vegan, um, vegan since Christmas 2019. He's very into much uh, whole food, plant based eating as opposed to vegan junk food. Um, he was m- mentioning about sort of oil free cooking. Do you okay. do you try and avoid oil when you cook? Since doing this whole food challenge, I feel like I kind of have been a lot more conscious of it because before I was just using like rapeseed oil with everything. And sort of, again, from doing this, been obviously looking into it a bit more and it's not the best for you. So I have been a lot more conscious about it and I've been using sort of like olive oil and coconut oil and stuff. I do want to get avocado oil, but it's just a bit bit too expensive for what you get, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I keep meaning to get some of that. But yeah, you do get a rather tiny bottle for about six pounds, don't you? <laughs> so, Literally, it's, it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Stephen mentions just kind of using water. So, I mean, and I do do that sometimes. My husband gets a bit annoyed with me. He's like, you can't fry. It's not going to go crispy in water. But you don't, yeah, you don't have to have oil with everything. You know, everything that you sort of heat up in a pan, just add a little bit of water and it actually does does the job a lot of the time. Um, you're obviously not going to get crispy roast potatoes, perhaps. I don't know. Give it a go. I know my friend, um, she's, you know, practically oil free. So, um, you know, she certainly gets on all right. Yeah. I, saying about roast potatoes, though, I when I was younger, I, again, followed this like food account and they did like wedges or whatever, put the potatoes in. I think maybe it was like a drizzle of olive oil. And then underneath it was kind of like a tray of water and the water steamed and um, they weren't like crispy, crispy like you would with oil, but they certainly had like a crunch to it. And it's, you know, a, a good alternative, I think. That's a really good idea. I'll give that yeah. a go. We're coming into roast dinner season now, aren't we? So uh... I'm all aboard, all aboard the gravy train. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, Molly, you know what next week is? It's our first birthday. (gasps) So we we are going to do a best bit. So we're going to have a whole episode of 
just all the bits that were best over the last year about the Simply Vegan podcast, all the amazing people that I've spoken to. I mean, I, I've just, feel, I'm another thing, I posted this on LinkedIn as well, actually, that I just feel so honoured to have spoken to the people that I have. Yeah. I mean, every time I speak, I interview someone, I am just so inspired by them. And it just fills you with hope. For, yeah. Because, you know, when you're reading out these news stories and you're watching these films and you can get really, really depressed um, about the state of the world and the animals and everything. But, you know, you, you speak to these people in our interviews every week and I just feel like, oh, faith restored, you know. Yeah, it's and they're just sort of like everyday humans as well, not necessarily like, you know, big time celebrities and stuff. And I think that's what's the most inspiring bit about it all. And I can't believe it's only been a year, which is yeah. insane. I know, every week for a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my voice banging on, this is why I've lost my voice. Obviously. I was going to say, that's why this has happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you to every single person who has downloaded the a podcast. Don't forget to subscribe as well um, and you know, share it with your friends. We couldn't do this without you, so thank you, everybody. Um, keep listening. Like I said, Sarah Bentley's coming up from Maiden Hackney. She does some amazing work with the local community in London, working in the realms of food inequality and food poverty, making veganism accessible for everyone. Welcome, Sarah Bentley, to the Simply Vegan podcast. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you very much for having me today. Um, I apologise for the croaky voice (laughs) Um, and to all our listeners who are probably getting annoyed by it by now. (laughs) Um, I mean, do you want to tell everyone how we met? Yes, sure. So me and Holly met at the last Vevolution Festival, which was some time ago now, a vegan, an amazing vegan festival, the trailblazing vegan festival. And I think it would be 2019. Mm. And we were watching The Happy Pair. And they started their talk by asking us to stand up and hug someone near you because you weren't next to me I think you were behind me yeah Um, yeah. (laughs) and and we had a hug and we had a hug and that's how we met (laughs) those those were the days where you could hug random strangers and it was encouraged rather than sort of like frowned upon because you might catch something (laughs) exactly there was about you know 200 people hugging in a room and there was there was no moral um judgment no it was so amazing. I absolutely love the happy pair. They're just such sort of cheeky Irish chappies, aren't they? Yeah, no, they're great. Good vibes, good energy. Yeah. yeah, so we've kind of been in touch on and off since and obviously really wanted to get you on the podcast. So do you want to tell us about what you do? So you work at Made in Hackney, don't you? What's your job role and what sort of work do you do? Sure, sure. So I'm the founder of Made in Hackney. We opened our doors in 2012. So nearly 10 years, coming up to 10 years. We're a vegan community cookery school and also a community meal service. So we provide really collaborative educational experiences all over London, not just in Hackney, around culturally diverse plant-based food. And we take that into schools, community centres, hostels, women's refuges, uh, you name it, any sort of venue where the people might benefit from a cookery experience and who also have cooking skills to share with us, 
Um, and we also do a community meal service where we provide nourishing free meals to community members who need support with food. And they're delivered to people's front doors by a bicycle courier in batches of three twice a week. And that started during the very beginning of COVID. And we aren't going to stop that because people in our community still really need the food support. So that's what Maiden Hackney gets up to. It's such an amazing idea. I mean, how did you, you know, how did you come up with it? What led you to, to set this up? Well, the, the journey to Maiden Hackney is quite a lengthy one. I'll try and condense it. I was, when I sort of left university, I was a music and culture journalist. And I actually wrote about reggae music and uh, black bass music, mainly from all around the world. And the reason that really kind of lit my fire about all of that was the social justice, the political history and context that that music was created within. Now, I don't know if when you get older, but you can only write about music, I think, for a certain time frame where you live your life in nightclubs and in studios. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, traveling to different sort of um, communities around the world. And, and after a while, I really wanted to actually create a project that was tangible rather than just write about other things that people were creating whether that be music projects etc so I started a career change I started doing um, community gardening and I became an organic food grower with growing communities growing zero food mile salad and interestingly my mum was a home economics teacher so you always think you're going to do something very different to your parents and you're, you're so original and you're going to be a music journalist and actually, I've just become a vegan version of my mom, <laughs> you know, when, when all said and done at the end of the day. So then I was a community food grower and movement in that space. I was around a lot of social justice movement, a lot of activists, a lot of community activists. And it became clear that there was a space, there really was a space for a kitchen. There was a really thriving community garden scene booming in London, that a community cookery school, community kitchen scene dealing with educational experiences that seemed to be lacking so there was a gap and then there was an opportunity to collaborate with an organization on a funding bid who had a dank dark horrible basement space that they said could be available to turn into something positive and it was the combination of um thinking what to do next with my life and this basement space being available that basically birthed Made in Hackney. And we, you know, we did a lot of community consultation, the council, grassroots community groups, and there was definitely a lot of local support for a, a kitchen where people could share their skills and their culture and their cuisines. And um, not necessarily loads of support for it being vegan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm completely honest. But I was going to ask that. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a bit of a non-negotiable for me. So I sort of kept that slightly under my hat. So <laughs> we opened and it was like, well, obviously it's going to be vegan, right? If it's going to be grounded in social justice and, you know, uh, a solution for the climate crisis, etc. So we definitely had some um, varied opinions and views about that. But when people actually attended the classes and courses and they saw they weren't going to be lectured to about it, they weren't going to be judged, they weren't going to be told what they should and shouldn't eat. It was more about a celebration of plants and a celebration of what you could do with plants. People started to um, warm up to it and be more accepting. And that was back in 2012 before people were more aware. So we were we met a lot more resistance than we do now, which is 
really wonderful. We, we have to do very little explaining and very little um, lobbying to community groups about why we're vegan. But 10 years ago, it was quite a grind, yeah, <laughs> that can, aspect of it. I can imagine. What led you to go vegan then? Well, I went vegetarian when I was nine. I was the only person in my family, so it was just me. I grew up in rural Lincolnshire, surrounded by you know sheep and cows and chickens. And it was just that very basic child logic where you're like, hang on a minute. You take me to like petting farms to stroke pigs and chickens and stuff. Yeah. And now I'm eating them. This just doesn't add up to me. And yeah. I've been sort of brewing on that for years, maybe from the age of five or six. But all my family's cultural rituals were around meat. Um, I'm from quite a working class northern family. And my mum very much prided herself on being able to, you know, make a whole chicken stretch to 10,000 meals and <laughs> I used to eat bacon sandwiches on sat on my dad's knee and it, it was really meat was really a part of our family culture so age five or six it just was too big a leap to kind of push back on that but by the time I was nine I was quite precocious and quite strong-headed I was like okay I'm out of, of that and thankfully because my mum was a home economics teacher she wasn't overwhelmed by it she just said well you're gonna to have to eat a lot more vegetables and legumes then aren't you young lady and I was like <laughs> okay so I think if she you know she basically facilitated it I don't think she thought I would keep with it but but I did and so that was nine to about 18 19 and then when I went to Jamaica I as a music journalist a very new music journalist a clueless music journalist I would say <laughs> I encountered Rastafarian idol cuisine and I ate nothing but this food for three weeks and I just had like a, a health revelation you know I'd had bloating before I'd had IBS my period was out of sync I just wasn't thriving from a health perspective and in just that three-week window my period kicked into gear in, in line with a full moon I didn't have any bloating. I felt incredibly well. And when I got home, I was like, okay, I need to keep this up. And I had invited a certain Rastafarian idol chef to come and visit me in England. So I was like, oh, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to learn to cook. So before he came over, I like got good housekeeping, vegetarian um, cookbooks and not very jazzy cookbook at all. There weren't all these jazzy vegan cookbooks. No, no. It was good housekeeping, vegetarian cookbook. And I just went through veganizing recipes in a panic, trying to learn to cook before he came. I went to a Viva event and it was there I encountered all the information about the difference between vegetarian and veganism and was like, wow. All these years I thought being vegetarian was enough and I just hadn't been exposed to the sort of cruelty of the dairy and the egg industries. So after I became aware of that, it was a, it was a done deal for me. So vegan from about 19. That's an yeah. amazing story. I love it. It's a long story, sorry. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. I just love hearing everyone's stories of how they went vegan. Um, do you think it was because you gave up the dairy then in that three-week period when you sort of notice your cycles and things like that changing? I, I guess it must have been, but also I was eating phenomenally nutritious food. So it wasn't just about what I wasn't eating anymore, so the dairy, the cheese, um, the eggs, etc. I think the meals that a lot of idle food chefs in Jamaica were preparing 
just were packed with nutrition. You know, they had incredible hard food, planting, salads, incredible tofu dishes. And it, it just made me feel so well. And also, I'm quite a greedy person, and I noticed you could eat enormous platefuls of it and kind of <laughs> yeah. do not feel like really bloated. So that that was kind of a bonus for me as well. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. Yeah, you can eat eat twice as much if it's all mainly plants, can't you? <laughs> yeah, that worked for me. Oh, I'm so jealous. Caribbean food is just up there, like because my you know one of my favorite types of food. I mean, it totally changed my life. And I always, you know, a lot of people were introduced to veganism through this bizarre broadsheet newspaper announcing a veganism through Deliciously Ella, the Helmsley sisters and someone else. All lovely people. But they sort of announced it as if these three chefs represented veganism. And you were like, come on a minute. Plant-based food has been deeply entrenched in cultural diets across the whole globe long before these three ladies. So it, 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 it kind of of started mainstream veganism off on the wrong foot if you ask me as being quite elitist and kind of exclusively white which is just bizarre when if you look at sort of global cuisines there's so much rich plant heritage plant cooking that that was just a very weird thing that um broadsheet newspapers did about i don't know when was that like kind of about eight years ago something like that when they really kind of got on the vegan train so a lot of the things that you do um, at Made in Hackney kind of revolve, revolve around food inequality. What does that actually mean? Well, I am not a food access, food equality encyclopedia, but there, there are lots of people who are. So there's a, few, there's a few definitions. So I'd really like to read you out the UN definition, but I think if I do it on my computer, I might, I might freeze. So I, I could try and do it from memory. And it's, it's something like... Um, Food security. So I'm going to tell you what food security is rather than insecurity, because insecurity is the opposite of this. It's having enough plentiful, nutritious food easily accessible to you of your preference. And the of your preference bit is the bit that a lot of the sort of flies over a lot of people's head. That true food access is also about eating the food that you would choose to eat rather than the food that you're given or only the food that you can afford to eat, or you can only heat up in the microwave because you don't have a kitchen, for example. So that's that's what true food access is. So if you invert that, it's not having cooking facilities to prepare your food. It's not having enough budget to buy nutritious food. It's not having enough local premises surrounding where you live selling nutritious food. It's, it's basically you know the opposite of what food access is. And there's a campaigner called Karen Washington, a phenomenal American activist, food activist. And she changed the definition. Um, there was the word food deserts was being bandied around a, a lot. And that was basically signifying areas that didn't have nutritious food available to the people who lived in those communities. And she renamed that food apartheid because what that was encompassing was that it wasn't just about areas where non-white people lived often low income where there weren't any healthy food options but it also incorporated the whole fact that the food system is inherently racist um and that's why that exists and she called food deserts an outsider term so people looking in at these communities whereas food apartheid was the word for 
that people experiencing this and living this and being on the sharp edge of this, that's what they're experiencing was through apartheid. And that lady's Karen Washington. So look her up. She's phenomenal. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, a lot of the work that you do at Made in Hackney then revolves around this, doesn't it? I mean, what kind of... It's, it's hard to imagine for a lot of people not having access to a cooker, isn't it? Absolutely. And it, it still shocks people and it, it still shocks some of our funders, which just goes to show the disconnect between people that fund charities and the, the work that charities do. So you have people living in temporary accommodation um, where the, the kitchen is basically a room with three microwaves chained to the wall and um, a kettle if you're lucky. And no fridge. So there's no fridge, but there is a microwave. So where does that leave you? It leaves you maybe with takeaway meals and ready meals. So, but you can't cook. You can't cook for yourself or your family. Um, thousands and thousands of people live in temporary accommodation. And um, if you're living in a hostel as well, you might you may not have the means to prepare, you know, to prepare food in the kitchen. And also budget. I mean, I don't know if people look at um, benefit levels, but what people get given in benefits never goes up in line with rising living costs. Neither do people's salaries, I will also add. But, yeah. um, so, you know, and people always say stupid things like, oh, I've looked at benefits. You get sort of Tory MPs saying, I've looked at this, and I've done an experiment, and I've lived off £25 food budget for the week. And it was very easy, and people just need to learn how to cook. And, and it's like, come on, get a grip. Did your fridge break that week? Yeah. Did your kids have to get some new shoes? Did you? They completely disallow for life circumstances where you need to spend more money. Did you need a new pair of glasses? You know, they just they do these ridiculous experiments and put them in the broadsheets and kind of tell people off for not being good with their money. And it's so <laughs> infuriating. It's like, what planet are you living on? Like, if you want to know what it's like to live on benefits, live on it for two years and then come back to us and see how your little experiment went. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very hard for people to often relate to the the size of budget that many people are having to feed themselves and their kids with and also the cooking facilities or lack of um, that, that, that they're also having to, to manage with. So what, what sort of ingredients would you recommend for someone on a very tight budget but wanting to eat more nutritious meals? Gosh, that's a good question. There's so many. I mean, tinned legumes are your friend because if you've got access to a hob, you know, like a one ring hob, you can make something delicious in that. You can make a stew, you can make a stir fry. Most of the people that come to our cooking classes do have access to like a one ring hob. Um, It's more people who are getting our um, community meals that tend to have no access to, to cooking facilities at all. So, yeah, tins of legumes, they're absolutely your friend. You can make salads, stews, you know, the whole shebang with them. Then if your cooking skills have advanced, I would say different types of flour, like chickpea flour, um, you know, sort of gluten-free flour mixers, whatever works for you, because then you can add things like um, seasoned dumplings and things like that to stews to bulk them out, fill you up. Because if you've only got one hob ring, Doing a rice and a stew is quite tricky, but if you've got one and you can add dumplings or spinners or something like that to it, you can really bulk out your meal and make it delicious just with one pot. So, yeah, I mean, it depends, really. It depends on people's cultures, their ethnicities, um, what they've grown up with. Um, we have different teachers that specialise in that, so all our teachers would say something different. So if you ask Duchess Nena, our West African food teacher, 
she might say Gary or she might say Black Eyed Beans because you can make a cara with them. You know, each each teacher, depending on their cultural cuisine, would probably recommend something different. For me in my house, I would say Black Eyed Beans, uh, sorry, Black Beans are my go-to at the moment because they're really high in folate and iron and they taste delicious. But, um, yeah, it really, it really depends on people's cultures and what food they like to eat in terms yeah. of what we'd recommend. It's always the beans, though, isn't it? They're just so good for you yeah. and so filling and so cheap. They're amazing. One of the other things you do is to help people to start growing their own vegetables. So what advice would you give to those, including myself, who aren't very green-fingered and don't necessarily have much time or outdoor space? Number one, stop telling yourself you're not green-fingered. Ah. <laughs> That's the number one thing to do. Um, I always say I'm not techie, I'm not techie. And it's like, well, that's why you can't, you panic when you approach your computer. So um, yeah, everyone has got green fingers, just some are more seasoned than others and some have done it more than others. So um, start off by just thinking positively. Second, expect some things to die. Don't be like, oh, I sowed some seeds. It didn't work. The end. That's the end of my growing career. You often find we all do that as human beings, right? We say, I tried to do some sprouting. It didn't work. That was the end. And yeah. you, you need to sort of try a few times. <laughs> it's like with anything new, you need, you know, you need to have a few goes. Um, look at YouTube videos, go to a class, ask your friends. There are some common misconceptions. Like some people think you can just throw seeds in any type of soil and they will grow. Yes. They can a bit, but if you're trying to grow carrots, for example, that's maybe not going to work. It needs to be quite finely um, sieved soil, etc. So just just do a little bit of research. How we start people off at Made in Hackney is that when we first opened, we would do this huge food growing class, and we realised it was just too much for people. It was it was overwhelming. People didn't have gardens, and it was a bit irrelevant, really. So what we now do in our food growing classes is we um, help people learn to make cut and come again salad. So we grow it in trays um, or just you can, you know, those blue plastic crates that you can get free from the shop that they yeah. do groceries in. And you can just line it with newspaper or brown paper, put some soil in and then sow one packet of mixed leaf seeds. And that can be your magic bit of organic salad for, you know, you can keep that going the whole year. You can keep it going in the windowsill. You can keep it going next to a door, anywhere, really. And then we also do with people um, cuttings, so herbs. So how to take a cutting, so how to get plants for free. So to get people some rosemary, some sage, some thyme going. Because once you've got that, you can make things like budget potatoes taste really nice. You know, you can really elevate quite cheap dishes. So we yeah. really try and get people going on the, on the, on the herbs. And then the third thing we, we try and teach people is how to do sprouting. Um, so things like mung beans, alfalfa, broccoli sprouts, etc. Because again, all you need is a windowsill, a window and a jar uh, and you're off. So we've realized in London, they're really the best skills we can teach people. And then if we want to do a slightly more involved food growing class, it's really for people who are either got gardens or they have access to an allotment or a community garden. So the first class we do is very much what can be done in a windowsill or a balcony. It's really yeah. cool class. I mean, sprouting, the, the, the little sprouts that you grow are so good for you, aren't they? Phenomenally good for you. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, so don't take my word for it. 
But lots of nutritionists will say <laughs> that they're phenomenally good for you, especially the um, broccoli sprouts. They apparently have phenomenal sort of anti-cancer properties. But again, look that up. I, I'm not a registered nutritionist. <laughs> but yeah, lots of, lots of our ambassadors who are do, do tell me that. It's something that's been on my to-do list for a, a long while, along with fermenting. And I hold my hands up. I, I really need to sort of get on and do it because I'm just always so busy and I just never get around to it. That makes total sense. And the thing is to not try and do it all at once. So just set yourself a goal of, okay, I'm going to grow some herbs on my windowsill. Forget the other stuff, just do that. Or, okay, I'm going to do some sprouting. Just choose one thing and incorporate that. Because when you're thinking of all the things you should be doing, you just don't do anything. Um, We really like to teach people about fermentation because buying a jar of kimchi or a jar of sauerkraut is about £9, anywhere between £6 and £9. That's hugely expensive. That's massively expensive. Well, if you do it yourself, you basically need a cabbage, some salt, some water and some arm muscle and you're off. A bit of patience. So that, again, is, is, a, is a really lovely class that we like to offer so many people because it's the difference between doing it yourself and buying it is huge. Well, sometimes I totally understand why people just want to buy a tin of beans or like buy some pre-made veggie sausages. We're not perfect. We can't cook from scratch every day, all day. That's just not realistic. Yeah. So, yeah, we like to teach people the things where there's a really big gulf between to, what it is to do it at home and to buy it in a shop where it's just really cost prohibitive for most most people including myself I can't afford to buy eight pound jars of ferment all the time no no it's crazy isn't it actually how expensive it can be um so you're you're doing courses online now was did that start during covid it did so our classes before covid were very much face to face and we had our free community program that happened all over london and then a face-to-face we called it back then a masterclass program, but we've dropped that word since because we think it sounds a bit misogynistic and not very right on. But um, it, we were trying to imply that you get sort of a six hour intense experience, including your lunch. So yeah. those classes we charged money for, they were about £100. And we've just reintroduced those at our cookery school at Liberty Hall. They're a phenomenal, they're a real big treat and they're led by incredible chefs and you get a stunning lunch and take-home recipes, etc. Then our online classes were introduced during COVID and they start at £5, um, up to £20, depending on your income. Um, this is as well as all the free stuff we do. This is on top of the free stuff we do. And we love our online programme because it means chefs from all over the world can teach from Made in Hackney, yeah. which is on our radar. So we have an amazing chef called Eddie Garza who joins us from California and he specialises in latin american cuisine and we have a lady called betty vicious who was living in sierra leone for a long time she's just back in the uk now but she specializes in west african cuisine so it really you know really opened up um our teaching pool of people who could who could lead made in hackney classes we have an amazing chef um called michael ninval who teaches trinidadian carnival food and he not only teaches you how to make the carnival food he also teaches you how to wine to soaker at the same time. It's pretty good oh, night out in your yeah. own kitchen. It's really fun. And he's based in West Wittering, not a particular hub of the Caribbean diaspora, but that's where <laughs> he's based um, because of his job. So um, we love the online classes because it's really broadened the scope of the, t- of the teachers. 
Yeah. And interestingly, some people have said they prefer the online because once they've cooked a meal in their own kitchen, in their own home and shop for the ingredients themselves, they really feel like I could absolutely do this again. I've absolutely got this. I could do it again tomorrow. Whilst I guess when you come to a cookery school, it's different equipment and the ingredients have been bought for you. So there's a few new steps you need to do to replicate it at home. So we're going to continue with the online classes and have a mixture of the online and the face-to-face. Brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to come along to one. Um, you've got like one that's eating for immunity and a cheese making one, I see. Oh, yes. Um, yes, we've got, a, we've got a vegan cheese. The vegan cheese class is amazing. Really amazing. And it's you make stuff out of like sunflower seeds, almonds, cashews. That's really stunning. We have another cheese one called Life Beyond Cheese, and that's more like cheesy sauces for like lasagnas and pizzas and sort of everyday cheese rather than yeah. artisan cheese. I really want to go to the artisan cheese one for Chris, you know, in times for Christmas. Because mm. um, yeah, I love a cheese board at that time of year. Now, what's really cool about the classes, we have a really diverse teaching pool. I would say one of the most diverse teaching pools out of any um, vegetarian or vegan cookery schools. Where if you look at them across the UK, they are a bit unashamedly white. And you're like, what's going on with that? Please recruit from a wider pool of people. Yeah. And, and also the money we raise from these um, classes goes back into our community meal service. So you get a really cool class, have a great time, learn a new skill. And the money you've given us goes back into helping us feed families that need support. So it's a nice virtuous circle of loveliness. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's at madeinhackney.org, isn't it? So um, Madeinhackney.org, yeah, that's where you can book a class, make a donation or volunteer with us. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, just to finish off, what's your favourite type of food? Oh, it's got to be Caribbean idol food because it's where my journey with veganism started. I still enjoy it as much today as when I first encountered it. And I learn something new every time I cook with a different idol chef or have the pleasure of going to an idol restaurant. I learn a new flavor and I just I just love it. And it makes my body feel well. So, yeah, it's got to be Caribbean idol food. Yeah, Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been lovely to chat to you. And again, I apologize for the croaky voice. (laughs) Get well soon. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, hopefully we'll have a hug again in the future. That would be lovely. I'm definitely (laughs) up for hugs. Definitely up for hugs. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with me. Next week, I will hopefully sound a lot healthier, like more like my normal self. And I'll be chatting to Katie Beskow, who's all about fast, affordable vegan cooking. Um, really excited to chat to her. She's a big name in the uh, vegan cookery scene. Unfortunately, we didn't get to speak to our anti-vegan Marine this week. Um, it's all a bit of fun and hopefully he'll be coming on in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to like and subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and head over to the Vegan Food and Living website for more recipes, news and tips. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 